Welcome back to another episode of the Born Again Again podcast. Today's episode is an interview with Andy and Jeremy, a couple who, similar to Katie and me, started their relationship as committed Christians, but then headed down the path of deconversion. We talk about their origins and the first dominoes that started to fall, about the difficulties that came along with losing their faiths at different rates, about telling their family and friends, and about all the healing that they found on the other side. Now, as you listen to these stories, I once again encourage you to have an open mind, an open heart, and really put yourself in their shoes. Notice if there's anything shared that you especially relate to, if there's anything that triggers something in you, or if they say something that maybe you've never really thought about before. This whole thing's about healing and about becoming the truest, most free, released versions of ourselves, and I'm really proud that this community exists where we can all go after that goal together. If you love reading and you want to support the podcast, we just started our second round of the Born Again Again book club, and together we're reading my absolute favorite book, Island by Aldous Huxley. So you can head over to our Patreon for more info about the book club, or you can also support the show by leaving a review, or you can join the discussion on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. With all that being said, it's time to hear from Andy and Jeremy. Enjoy. Well, hi, you two, and thanks for coming (laughs) on to the show. Hello. Um, so to start things off, I would love if you two could just introduce yourselves a little bit and share a bit about your beliefs now um, before we get into your whole life story. Um, so yeah, I'd love to just hear a little bit about who you are, introduce yourselves, and kind of share where your beliefs are at at this point. Sure. Um, well, I'm Andy Woodbin, um, originally from Indiana, and I, so so just currently, like right now, where am I? Yeah. Where I'm at. Uh, so now we're in Florida. Um, my beliefs now are pretty drastically different than they were uh, even j- just six years ago or so. But I think I would say my beliefs are more humanistic in that I don't have any like belief system that I'm under. Yeah. Um, but I'm open to maybe a spiritual realm. I would say I there isn't anything that I specifically believe in, but I am open to that if evidence should present itself at one time or another in the future. Sure. Um, but as far as real beliefs, I don't think, I don't think there's anything that I would say uh, faith wise. I do believe this. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Risa. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I'm a uh, Jeremy Woodman. So I am uh, Andy's husband and Currently, I would say belief-wise, um, I don't like labels. So when people try to throw, well, what do you call yourself? Mm-hmm. I don't. There's so much packed into a given label. So I guess stereotypically, I would be labeled an agnostic atheist. Anyone can take that to mean what they will. But for me, I would say I am open to the idea of there potentially being a deity or a god should that, kind of like what Andy said, should that evidence present itself. However, I would say the Christian God I would reject. So I'm agnostic atheist, generally speaking, but I would say I could, a firm belief I would have is that I do not believe that Christianity, the Christian God could be true or could exist. Yeah. Okay, cool. I, I feel like I'm probably right with you guys. It sounds like you're both pretty open and open to the different possibilities of what could exist and such, but have pretty likely ruled out the specific Christian God as 
as portrayed yeah. in the Bible right. as the source of everything. Cool. Yeah. Exactly. I'm right with you there. I'm right with you there. So I'm, I'm assuming based on the fact that you filled out the form and wanted to be on the show that you didn't always believe that way. Um, so I would love if we could kind of go back to the beginning. I'd love to hear like your Christian past, you know, how you got into the faith and what that kind of looked like for you. Yeah. So I guess I can go first if yeah. you want, but mm-hmm. uh, so essentially born and raised in a fundamentalist Christian home. So stereotypical fundamentalism. Um, the Old Testament's literal, the Bible is literal, um, young earth creationism. So born and raised in that from, you know, as long as I can remember going to church every Sunday, heavily involved in youth group. Um, I led, once I got a little bit older, led worship, um, was involved in Christian camps, went to a Christian college. So I guess all of the like check boxes that a a parent would like to see for their child. I definitely like checked all those boxes and I was very heavily uh, invested in the Christian faith. Um, There wasn't an aspect of my life that wasn't touched by Christianity or influenced by it. Um, And I definitely growing up, like had my doubts and and had my issues and, um, but, but overall it definitely was like the foundation and the primary like driver of my life. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Andy, did you also grow up in a Christian home? I did. It was a little bit different in that my parents really didn't talk about it as much. It was more of a private thing for them. It wasn't uh, something that needed to be really talked about to the degree that his family it was. But that always bothered me um, because my friends, their families really talked about it. And so I knew for myself when I grew up, I wanted to make sure that like Christianity was like every single part of, of my life. And yeah. so um, growing up, yeah, I grew up in the church as well. And I really found a home in my youth group at the time and was very heavily involved in the church um, to the point where people would tell me, I think you're called to ministry. I think you're called specifically to youth ministry. And so that's where um, I ended up switching from a public school to a Christian school so that I could get more, Christianese in my life. And <laughs> to then, get more I don't Christian. know. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and this, these are all my decisions. My parents were just kind of like, oh, really? are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah. Like they didn't like for them, Christianity was not um, a means to success in the way that yeah. it was for, for him. But I wanted that to please like the pastors in my life. I wanted to um, please God. And so I thought going to a Christian school uh, would be more, uh, a better way to be closer to God, essentially, because yeah. if my, the subjects in school were teaching uh, the Bible, then that was important to me. And then from there, uh, I got recruited to play basketball at a Christian college. And so I went there and that's kind of, yeah, where we got started. And I, my major was in, or my minor is in youth ministry. Um, okay. But that was my goal at the beginning was I wanted to be a youth pastor. So, wow. yeah. I think that's <laughs> so the first time I've ever met someone who like, chose to go to a Christian school as the child, you know, as yeah. opposed to the parents being the one who drove that decision. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yep. And, and to so, me, looking back, that's kind of evidence that like, this was so sincere for me. Yeah, like it wasn't right. something that was pushed on me. And sometimes people will look at me and think, oh, well, maybe you never believed it. But if I were to go back and look at my prayer journals, look at my life, every decision that I made was not because my parents were pushing me to do one way or the other, but like, I genuinely believed it. Yeah. Wow. Cool. All right. And so you guys met then in college. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, so we met in college. She claims we met freshman year. However, I do not remember this. There's an <laughs> ongoing debate and disagreement. However, I do remember meeting sophomore year. No, junior year. Shoot. Uh, junior year. <laughs> met at some point in college. So you met at some point in college. Okay, so yes. talk me through a little bit. Who were, who were you two as people when you met in college? Oh, boy. Uh, I don't like what, this. As far as what? <laughs> As far as your, I guess we'll, we'll stick to the Christian beliefs mainly just because that's what this podcast is about. <laughs> okay. I'll say this. So once we started hanging out, I thought she was very uh, attractive. And so I thought, oh, I'd be interested in getting to know this person. And we started dating early, but the more I got to know her uh, from a Christian perspective, uh, I, I learned that she read and enjoyed the shack as an example, which okay. for me was she, what's the author's, I can't remember the author's name. Uh, right. Paul, uh, Paul Young? Or you, you know the shack, you know what I'm talking about? I know that, yeah, I know exactly. I can okay. see the cover of the book. I don't know who wrote yes. it. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so for me, from that standpoint, like hearing that to me was like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't date this girl. If she likes the Whoa. shack, like that's wrong theology. That's like, that's unbiblical. Yeah. I used to warn my friends about listening to Rob Bell because he was <laughs> anti-biblical um, so I was very fundamentalist in that regard. So from that okay. standpoint, I was kind of, I wouldn't say obnoxious, but I definitely was, I was convicted in my beliefs and my theology. So. Okay. Yes. And I was, my beliefs were more fluffy in that, like, okay. all I cared about was love. And um, I, those literal beliefs that he had, I didn't have. But I've always been somebody who is more uh, codependent. And like I was searching my whole life to find that Christian man who would lead me and lead my family. And because he had those, what I viewed at the time as leadership qualities, um, mm -hmm. like now, if I were to meet him, then I would be like, stay away from me, get away from me. <laughs> um, but no, well, just, no, I mean, like if I, if I was who I am now and I met you, as who you were then, I would, we would not work at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I wanted what he had to offer because I wanted that strong personality who was very convicted and had very strong core beliefs. And that was attractive to me at the time. Yeah. That, that is a really attractive quality. And I feel like that's something like it's easy for a Christian to have in a way, because you have like this list of hard set rules that you can just be like, no, this is concrete and I'm going to stand behind that forever. Yeah. It's easy to be nice and strong and firm in that. And yeah, I think, I think it is attractive. I think Katie was drawn to me for that reason. And I was drawn to her for that same reason. Cause it was like, wow, yeah, this person really knows what they think and they're very strong in their beliefs. And that seems like a really admirable quality. So that's interesting. Yeah. So you're saying it's like a fundamentalist with someone who's maybe a little more fluffy about things or more yes. just focused on like the loving parts of Christianity, right. which sounds pretty nice. <laughs> um, yeah. How did you guys reconcile that? Because I, I would imagine that would be an issue. Like you were saying, Jeremy, like at first you're like, oh, I don't know if I can date this girl. Like her theology doesn't line up, which is a really boring way yeah. to say that you like a really boring reason to not date someone in hindsight. <laughs> you know? yeah. That's really no, funny. I think yeah, I think the, uh, I mean, so certain aspects of Christianity were more highly emphasized, I would say, okay. in my from my perspective, both in my upbringing and just as an older adult. Um, I Like sin, for example, was a mm -hmm. main focus, whereas for Andy, like the topic of sin was not as commonplace for her pastor and youth pastor growing up. So I think that became more dominant in our 
when we would talk theology, that would become a little bit more dominant. So it definitely became, I can't think of a pivotal moment where we reconciled anything, but it was more of telling her essentially here, not to go back to it, but here's why the shack is wrong. Here, here, here's why, here's why Rob Bell is unbiblical and a false teacher. He's a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, if you will. So we definitely had lots of conversations and I would say in some areas I convinced her, but in other areas, she kind of was able to show me that perhaps focusing on the sin, uh, you know, deprioritize that in my mind, emphasize the love more. So I think it was, to a degree, maybe meeting in the middle from a theological standpoint. I don't know if that's yeah. a fair way to, to put it from your perspective. And I'm somebody who doesn't like confrontation. So I probably was more willing to just accept whatever was being told to me. And that's kind of a pattern my whole life is just accepting what a leadership figure was telling me. And since sure. he, we were dating, I viewed him as a leadership figure in my life. And so mm-hmm. I and just a, kind and of I was a man. So oh, you yes. to, yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And he yeah, was a man. <laughs> <course>. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I believe like that extreme, but um, I viewed him as a leadership figure. And therefore I took what he said seriously because he was so prayerful and because because he was so prayerful, I just assumed that he was closer to God in that way. Not that I wasn't prayerful, but I just had this strange view that men were somehow closer and knew how to lead more than women, which sounds really cringy now to even say it, but that's yeah. what I, the opinion I would have had. No, it, that stuff does sound so cringy and it's weird to imagine back how you could even think that. But I, I mean, mm-hmm. I was in the same boat. We were in the same boat and believed those things without really even thinking about them too much. And now when we look mm-hmm. back, it's like, what in the world? <laughs> I don't know well, how yeah, you can believe that what, stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it was almost hard to, in preparing for this, just trying to remember back. Because I think this was back, what, five or six years ago, I think, when I would say we formally kind of like deconverted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was almost difficult trying to think back to to relive those emotions to try and think like where was my head at yeah. when you read you read the yeah. stuff you wrote and the stuff you said and it's like man that you, you just don't recognize yourself to a degree right. it was it was interesting yeah. looking back that far and and not recognizing yourself yeah and i see the facebook um, memories and like the, <laughs> i have time hop and it like shows me what i said like 7 yeah. or 8 years ago 10 years ago it is really yeah no it's awful it's the worst feeling to like know that you said that and I'm I never post any like blanket statements anymore because it's like this is gonna come back to haunt me in 10 years yeah right no it's really sobering to see those memories pop up and it's like oof I wish I wouldn't have said that I wish I wasn't the person who would have said that (laughs) I need to apologize to like a million people now right (laughs) exactly um, so you, it sounds like, have you guys kept a lot of your journals and, and like notebooks and stuff from back during that time? You have. Yeah. So the, I would say I kept a journal when I was a Christian, when I was deconverting, I didn't necessarily journal, but there was mm-hmm. a, um, th- th- there's a program called Slack that certain you know people use that allows for kind of open conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I had a ongoing conversation with a relative uh, who was going through something similar at the time. And so all of our conversations, which spanned almost a year are kind of kept in that location. So I went back and reread that and it's just almost, I mean, at this point, you know, looking at it back, it's like hundreds of pages of conversation, wow. um, which is interesting to read back. So yeah, yeah. I bet. I bet. Um, yeah, we, did you keep a journal? 
What did you do? I kept a journal as a Christian. Um, so look, I don't have it any longer, but okay. when I think back to it, yeah, it, I think the benefit of remembering it is just knowing that I was genuinely sincere in my beliefs. Yeah. And it's because sometimes I'll question for myself, like, because I had the belief at the time that if you are to leave Christianity, then you must not have ever believed it in the first place. And so having those kinds of documentations and like, I have song lyrics and I have um, things like that to look back on to realize uh, I did believe this and it was very real and very genuine. Yeah. yeah. And you guys journaled, didn't you? If I remember right. We journaled a lot. Yeah. But I, we made a mistake of throwing out like all of our old Christian oh. journals mm -hmm. and stuff when we were, I mean, it, it, it's therapeutic, you know, when you're leaving right. the faith and you're like, you want to separate yourself from this belief system and all of that. Like we threw all that stuff out and it was, it was therapeutic, but then, you know, a year later when we didn't realize we'd be like starting a podcast about this and talking <laughs> yeah, about everything, exactly. you know, I really, in hindsight, I really wish I would have kept it, but that's interesting. What you said, Andy, that you like to read those things to kind of, reaffirm in yourself that like, oh yeah, I was actually genuine because it's mm -hmm. when Christians or other people in your life just kind of easily dismiss your deconversion by saying, oh, maybe you just weren't genuine. I, I experienced that. It kind of made me question that for myself as well. It's like, well, mm -hmm. you know, was I actually as into it as I remember or not, you know, and having those memories from years ago really helps. Um, right. Yeah. For so sure. you guys met in college, started dating, had a little a little time where you had to kind of uh, reestablish your beliefs together or kind of come to middle ground. Um, and then did you get married out of college? Yeah, so we, we graduated in June of 2012 okay. and then we got married three, well, week, yeah, three weeks in later. In May of 2012, we got, we graduated and then June of 2012, we got married. So nice. literally graduated. And then, I mean, you know, as, as a good, Christian will, you know, you, you, you get married right after college. So we, we got married right after college. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what we did too. It's like same timeline that like graduated yeah. and then married a couple of weeks after. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Classic. So, yeah. Yeah. We got married and we lived, we stayed in the same town that we went to school in. And so we stayed in the same church and same friend group. yeah, same friend group, everything kind of looked the same except for mm -hmm. we were married and living okay. together. Nice. And so you were, were you pretty involved with church and such at that time? Yeah. So there was a local church that we had gone to in college. We continued to go there. Um, so at that church, we would occasionally lead worship together, which was super cute. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I would lead worship. I was on the media team um, for the church. I would, um, I was involved in the youth group there. So I was one of the adult leaders for a time in the um, you know, in that church. So yeah, yeah I'd say from a, from a church involvement standpoint, by any metric, we were definitely involved. Mm -hmm. And I stayed involved in my church as well from before, from before college, even because that church was uh, such a pivotal place for me. And I viewed it as a second home, essentially. Um, so I, when I was still in college, they had asked me to come back uh, when the youth pastor had left and asked me to come and take his place for a while. Okay. Um, so I was the youth director there at the church for a time. Uh, so I wanted to stay connected with those kids and that program. So sure. I would work with them. So you, 
like as a couple, you were involved in two separate churches in the same city? Uh, they were like 20 minutes apart, but it was, for me, it was mostly while we were in college that I would be involved in two separate churches. Okay. But then after we got married, then mainly we were involved in the church that we, the local church, the local like, one. Literally okay. it's like on the, gonna... the campus of the college. We like yep. went to that church. That's basically. There, I see. So. I see. Yeah. I was going to say you two were like super Christians, like two separate <laughs> churches, sowing your seed all over. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. That's what Christians do. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Um, so when did things start to take a turn? Because it sounds like you're on a pretty smooth, like typical upward progression of, you know, leaving college, getting more involved in church, all of that. When did things start to, to turn? Yes, yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll take that one because it's kind of my... It's his fault. Start. Yeah, it's my fault. <laughs> it's, it's man's fault. <laughs> um, so... I would say, help me with the years. I think it was 2014. 2014, because it was right after our daughter was born. So we had a child in March of 2014. And from that time, uh, between then and the fall, um, I guess the idea of parenthood became very, uh, I felt very much like, okay, this is my responsibility as a man to really, um, sorry, this I have to go back. Growing up, it was always like self um things are your fault, sin is your problem, you're a bad person, you have this sin nature that you need to take care of. So there's always this sense of like, you're not enough, you need to do more, you're not enough. So when I became a parent, um, no matter what I did, and I still I still kind of struggle with this even today, is like this sense of it, it doesn't matter how much I do, um, I still feel this sense of like, oh, I, I need to do more, I need to be better for my family. So to that end, I joined a uh, men's group in the church mm-hmm. called Fight Club. Okay. which none of them are going to hear this. So I'll say it's a stupid name. Cause it's like, Oh, we're, we're macho men, but we're Christians too. So like, we're really like on both sides. We're really cool. I would have been uh, super lured in by that name, like a men's group yeah. called fight club back in the day. I yeah. would have been like, Oh, yeah. I'm so into this. Oh, for yeah. sure. Cause you're, you're fighting uh-huh. for your family. You're fighting for uh-huh. your church, for God. And, and you meet at midnight to like do all these physical like challenges. And okay. looking yeah. back, it's like, Oh my gosh. So it's like just appealing to the male, you know, psyche. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so in short, uh, one of the challenges of being in that group was to set a goal for yourself when it came to scripture reading. So for me, I said, uh, fall of 2014, by the time, uh, middle of 2015 hits, I want to have read the Bible start to end. Mm-hmm. So the strange thing is, is I've never felt stronger in my faith than when I first started in that group in, in fight club. But when I started that goal of reading through the Bible, for some reason, I don't know what it was, there were just parts of it that jumped out at me. And I thought, hmm, there's just questions, things that were strange to me that when I compared parts of the Old Testament to what I knew or what we know today, they stood out to me as strange. Mm. And so nothing at that point started from a, oh, I doubt this. I don't think this is true. It was just hmm, th- things jumped out to me as uh that, that, that's strange or that's, I, I wonder, should I read more into that than what I yeah. am? Um, and so it was strange that while at the same time, stronger than I've ever been in my faith, these kind of uh, questions began creeping in um, by just reading the Bible. So for me, end of 2014, just reading the Bible is what kind of started me down a path of deconversion. Very interesting. Uh, do you remember what any of those first questions were that you started or the, the, the Old Testament things that jumped out at you? 
Yeah, so I remember these, and it's I, I stress the part of where it was just reading the Bible that caused me to doubt because many conversations I've had, it's oh well, you probably just read Dawkins or you read these right. you know, non-believers. There's you know you, you were just looking to disbelieve, and it was like no, I was just reading the Bible. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So some examples, just random things. So again, I came from a a literal Bible background. So Noah's Ark, like that's literal, like that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Um, young seven day creation that happened. So when I read that from a literal perspective, um, just some things that come to my mind now as an example, like Noah's Ark, we know about oxygen and the lack of it at certain elevations now. Mm-hmm. And we know that if you go above a mountain, it's going to be really cold. You mm-hmm. can't survive that high. So it's like, okay, wait, I just read this. If, if the water was above the highest mountain, how did they breathe? And was, wasn't it like really cold when they frozen right. to death? Or like creation, uh, we have an immune system, but that's only to help with disease. But if disease did not come until the fall, then did God make us to fall with an immune system or did Mm. he like inject it into humans after the fall? So it was just things like that that didn't, they didn't cause me to doubt, but it's like, wait, like we know about this now. So what? I'm not getting my answer from the Bible because, you know, it's just little things like that that jumped out or yeah, Yeah. like the tower of Babel that one of the biggest obstacles to the gospel being shared um, is language barriers. Yeah. If, if God is all knowing, then when the tower of Babel happened, his, his solution to that was to create all the languages to have people scatter across the earth. So he created the barrier that we're now facing for the gospel to be shared to the four corners. Like why would he create that barrier that we now are challenged with today? Um, so yeah, a few examples, but just things yeah. like that, that caused me initially to just wonder like, hmm, that's just, I wonder what, what's the deal there? there there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's something there. What's, what's going on? That's a really interesting way you put it about the Tower of Babel and how, you know, people talk about all the time, the biggest barrier to spreading the gospel is the language barrier. And yeah, like if the Bible is true, God created that problem like for himself, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> silly. And also the immune system thing. I've actually, I've never heard that or really considered that, but that's a really good point. Why in the world would we have an immune system if we were created like without yeah. disease existing or did he like create disease? And then he's like, well, I'll give you a little extra help and also give you an immune system to fight off disease. Yeah, j- just in, just in case just you happen case. to fall. Yeah. If he's all knowing then. Yeah. Yeah. So it was questions like that, that initially, like I just found them interesting. And so I would bounce them off her uh, okay. because obviously, you know, who else am I going to talk to about this stuff? Sure. So I would just be like, have you ever thought about this? Like, this is really interesting to think about. Uh, And it was interesting when he would talk to me about it, but I also, I was able to allude to, well, he's God and he's like magical in a sense, like Mm -hmm. our ways are not God's ways. So like, don't look, yeah, (laughs) don't, don't dive too deep into it because like we cannot understand God's reasonings or why he did the way he does the things that he does. And so I was able to easily have that reasoning and just allude to that. And yeah. it wasn't a problem for me to just say that. And do you think that was due to the fact that maybe your beliefs, Andy, were a bit looser and you're more comfortable with the mysterious where Jeremy, you were more like fundamentalist, everything's like hard and fast and ironclad. 
Yes, definitely. And he's one to very much analyze everything. And mm-hmm. I am someone that I don't really care to analyze that much. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've become a lot more over analytical since we've been together for sure. But I was one to just kind of go with the flow and whatever um, someone was teaching at the time, if it seemed to make sense at the time, I wouldn't question it too much. And sure. I was fine to just say, oh, well, God is this all-knowing, all-powerful being. Who am I to question? And that's how I felt about him. It was almost as though I felt he was being a little bit arrogant because who are you to question the creator of the world? Like, why do you need these answers? Yeah. Yeah. So did that bother you at the time, Andy, that Jeremy was having those questions? And did what were those conversations like about those topics? First, well, because what he was saying made sense um, and it did, but I didn't like how uncomfortable it made me. Like it made me just feel uncomfortable. And like, I now know when I'm speaking to believers, when they are starting to feel uncomfortable or that same like discomfort that I felt when he was talking to me. Um, But yeah, it was just very uncomfortable. And I would just kind of like smile and nod be like, hmm, interesting. Like, (laughs) But I didn't want to, yeah, I didn't want to dive too deep into it because I hoped that he would just move on and get past it and sure. forget well, about it. And at the same time that a lot of the stuff that I was bringing up, like like you had mentioned, like the immune system thing, it had never struck me before. And then when I tried to search it, I, I couldn't find anyone else like talking about that. Mm-hmm. So when I would try to go to her and talk about this, like obviously she's not going to have an answer. And yeah. so you know, I think you were also frustrated that like, well, I don't, there really is no answer to that. You just have to take it on faith. Yes. Can only be satisfactory for so long. Right. Right. And at the time I believed that faith was a choice. And so I, in my mind, like, why don't you just have enough faith? Like, why can't, Mm -hmm. why can't you just believe this? It is what it is. Just believe it. Don't question it. Okay. So those, those were the first, like the very first questions you started having were based on that Bible reading plan that you're going through. Did you end up finishing the whole Bible within your, your allotted goal? Uh, so you'll notice that my three examples begin and end with Genesis. So yeah. the answer is no, I did not get okay. very far. Um, only because those initial questions caused me to kind of branch out from there and just start looking at other things in a different way. So as far as that diligent, methodical, working my way through the Bible, mm-hmm. I, did, I did not get very far as far as that task. Yeah. Which means my my time in Fight Club is also not very short-lived, so. (laughs) Okay. Or not very (laughs) long-lived. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that, it surprises me a bit because it sounds like you were really solid in your faith up to that point. And it didn't, sounds like it didn't take too much Bible reading and too many questions to really, I guess, distract you from like your steadfast faith. Why do you think things started to break down so quickly? Yeah, it's, that's a good question. Um, So, when I was younger, like let's say high school, middle school, you know, I would read um, apologetics books, you know, Mm -hmm. Lee Strobel, Tim Keller, you know, all these people, like I read these books and I found them to be very affirming. I think the reason why the question struck me differently is apologetics books stereotypically are assuming the position of the non-believer. They're assuming questions that non-believers ask or positions that they hold. And so when I got to a point where I was asking very specific questions, theologically, biblically, the approach that apologetics books took to resolving doubt 
were not speaking to the concerns that I had. They weren't speaking to the questions that I had. So I wasn't able to find my answer there. And, and even pastors that I would talk to when I was initially asking these questions, um, I did pose them and, and others to, to other people. Um, they weren't satisfactory because they would just give me the same answers the, as the apologists. Mm. So I wouldn't say that it happened very quickly and it was very painful. I, I don't want it to come across as flippant when I was asking these questions, the, the transition from general inquiry of just, Oh, these are interesting ideas to full blown. Like I, I don't believe this anymore. It, it was a very painful process, both just for me as a person and for our relationship. So um, yeah, I, th- I think that answers your question. I kind of got off on the tangent. Yeah, but, no, definitely. Um, yeah. So you d- you did talk to people in your church and stuff about those questions? Yeah. So one, one of the youth leaders um, that I worked with, I talked with him. I met with other pastors. There were, you know, different questions that I had. And, and, and the answer that I pretty much always got was, well, we don't understand that. And just to mm-hmm. give one example, because I'm going to kick myself if I if by the end of this, I realized that I didn't say it. <laughs> What was kind of like the nail in the coffin for me was I was a new parent. And so the love that I felt, the sense of nurturing that I felt for that child was uh, you, you can't compare that. So I realized, okay, if my daughter was, if I was in a park and she was crawling toward a puddle, let's say it was a foot deep. If she crawls into that hole, she's going to drown if I sit back and watch my child do that, who has no sense of danger, no sense of, you know, oh, I'm going to drown if I, if I crawl into this hole. If I watched that happen, what would people think of me? Well, they would think I'm a sociopath. They would call, me, call the police because of, you know, negligence and mm-hmm. I should definitely go to prison. That's terrible. Well, God is all-knowing and all-loving. So if I am a psychopath or sociopath for watching my daughter crawl into this puddle, God watches people without intervening, choose, you know, he chooses to punish people for something that they have no awareness of, no knowledge of. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I believed, I would say a traditional Calvinist view, you're elected predestination. So mm-hmm. God first chooses you. Well, if God doesn't choose me, then I'm not choosing to crawl into the puddle. I have no choice in the matter. Yeah. So that concept was very troubling to me that like, I realized I'm a more loving parent than God because I would pull my daughter back from the puddle. And so that was something that I posed to Christian leaders. That was something I talked with you about. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never got a satisfactory response. It was the same thing that she said. It was God's ways are not our ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just what struck me about that concept was, and you said said this to me several times, but God's knowledge in comparison to our knowledge is so exponentially greater. And my knowledge in comparison to my child's knowledge is exponentially greater. And so, like, why would you not save me? Like, why would you not? Um, why is Paul or Saul deserving of a Damascus road experience. And I'm not, um, or some people are not, um, if into eternally torment or, you know, isolate or whatever hell looks like to do that without another choice forever to me just seems so cruel 
because I would never do that to my child. Like if my child denied me, said she doesn't even believe that I exist. Yeah. uh, I would, I could never in a million years isolate her for eternity without an option to, you know, come back regardless of how horrible she was or how, you know, sinful she was. Love would always trump anything. Which not to, not to jump the gun, but just to like take it one step further. You earlier, right? We talked about that for her perspective, Christianity was all about love. It, it wasn't so much the hard and fast like theology and being stern in that. It was it was about love. It was about experiencing and sharing what Christ did on the cross and that mm-hmm. yeah. love. Like that's the word to emphasize is love. And so when I was posing these concepts or the the analogies with our daughter, like that was not to prompt you, but that was very difficult because the core of your, not the core of your belief, but one of the main tenets for you, that concept of love, I was basically like, un- unintentionally, yeah. I was just poking yeah. holes in it and saying like, no, nope, yeah. that's not, it's not the case. Well, I think it, it wasn't until I started viewing God subconsciously as like cruel in a sense that I was able to see the other issues for me, sure. like, since it was all about love, it wasn't until that love concept started to fall apart that I could see much more clearly all the other issues that there were. And I'd said several times, if it were just like 50 or a hundred issues, I could have gotten past it. Um, yeah. But since that love thing was fractured and the unlimited number of issues, I could not believe it. Even if I, wanted to. And I think I said this in the the questionnaire that you sent, but like, I know a lot of people use this analogy, but it really was like a sweater in a sense where like I had this sweater of Christianity and his questions kept like snipping these little threads off of my sweater. Mm -hmm. And I kept um, like just trying to like grasp at other threads where I could to like keep my sweater on. And uh, the more I changed my perspective, the more threads were cut. And then before I knew it, the whole thing just unraveled and it never was a choice for me. It was just, Oh my gosh, I physically cannot make myself believe this. Yeah. And then the, and then the panic sets in, which was, <laughs> sure. a, seven yeah. month, which was a several month process. Yeah. It was yeah. A, many, oh, many months. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like the, the love piece was kind of like, that was the, the first major domino to fall that allowed everything else to fall afterwards for you, Andy. What about for you, Jeremy? Was there like one kind of final thing or like a a big piece that made you really start to unravel things? Because it sounds like in all of your questioning so far, if I'm understanding you right, you had these questions and they were interesting, but they weren't necessarily like, um, you weren't doubting. What, What caused that to switch to actual like doubting of your beliefs? Yeah, so over like a two-month period, it quickly transitioned from initial questioning to doubting. And then oh, that two months. went to doubting. Like, well, yeah, it was, it was over the course of, yeah, probably, I'd say two months. It went from like questioning to, okay, I don't know if I can take the Old Testament as literally as I did. Okay. But I still have the New Testament. Okay. And so okay. I, will, I will cling to that. And <laughs> that window of... Oh, I can not take the Old Testament literally, but I'll take the New Testament literally. That that window was not very long. I would say sure. that was a very quick process of losing that because I realized, well, they're written together uh, from a Christian standpoint. So if you're dismissing one, why am I clinging to the other? Yeah. Um, so yeah, over the course of several months, it, it turned from questioning to doubting uh, because if I if I'm not viewing the Old Testament as literally 
what's keeping the New Testament from being literal. And then just due to eventually then kind of researching externally from the Bible, learning more about how it was written, which somehow as a Christian, I never actually learned. Yeah. Like, what, do we, what do we know about the Gospels? Like, I didn't know when, they, when most scholars would say they were written. Right. Um, you know, that was something that I came to learn. So a lot of that stuff, while to a non-literalist, probably wouldn't affect them at all. Me coming from a literal fundamental background, mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of things that were very disturbing, which very quickly caused me to doubt. Even in the midst of praying and, and crying to myself in bed, like praying for God to like keep to take this doubt from me, like it just kept slipping away more and more. Yeah. And I remember you like, praying and crying and like being very upset over it. Like, and it, that bothered me because like, well, you wanted that because you wanted me I, to well, keep I, it. For, well, it bothered me only because I just felt like there's nothing that I could do because no, like I thought that's what you should do. And then the doubt would go away, but it mm -hmm. wasn't going mm -hmm. away even with that. Um, and so that was bothersome to me because it was like, well, God, what, what are you doing? Like yeah, he's, he's right. crying out for you. Like, yeah. why would you not help? We're supposed to have faith in you. Like, shouldn't you be helping him here? Yes. Come on. Exactly. Yeah. So what, he's so knock, he's knocking open, open the door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Jeremy's going through this like crisis of faith and crying out mm -hmm. for, for faith and all that stuff. Where did that leave you, Andy, as he's going through all of that? What was that doing to your faith at that time? Um, I was just very, at that time, I think I was just very sad and it wasn't when he was questioning that I felt a sense of depression, but it was when there was one night that he actually finally said to me, I really don't think I can believe in Christianity anymore. Or I can't force myself. Or I can't like, I can't force myself to believe it. And I remember feeling just so helpless and distraught and, yeah. uh, I, I couldn't function because literally my entire life was built up upon how do I create this Christian family, this like perfect Christian family? How do I, right. um, how do I marry a, a believer who will lead my family and who will be like strong in their beliefs? There's no way I can be married to a non-believer. There's no way. And not only that, like, what are we going to teach our, our children? Like, am I going to do this all of myself? And then I started like, analyzing our relationship, our dating relationship. Like, what did I do wrong? Did, were there all these red flags that I missed? And just feeling like maybe I'm not a good enough Christian wife. Like I didn't, I wasn't Jesus enough to him. So he wasn't able to like, that wasn't able to overcome these, these doubts. And so, yeah, yeah just all of these thoughts. And it, it, it's so weird to think about it now. I almost have to shut off part of my brain to be able to feel that emotion again. Yeah. Um, because obviously I've learned so much since then, but at the time it was earth shattering. And mm -hmm. I, the only thing getting me out of bed, I think was, was our daughter. That was the only wow. way I could function. Um, and I couldn't talk to anyone about it because it was so embarrassing. Like I was yeah. so humiliated by the fact that, oh my gosh, my husband is having these doubts, but his doubts make sense to me, but Ugh. I can't, I can't, I, yeah, it was a very weird mental, mental state. Yeah. Well, if you're willing, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that like dark period. Cause I think a lot of, I mean, for myself and I know a lot of people listening, there is kind of that time when either one or both of you come to the conclusion that you just can't have faith anymore and you feel helpless. And, and Andy, the way you put it, I think will 
uh, be relatable to a lot of people that like, if your spouse tells you that they're having doubts about something, your mind like explodes with thoughts and anxieties and, and all of these possibilities are racing through your mind and all these questions and all these doubts and the weight of the world and faith and ex existence and all these questions kind of come crashing down on you all at once. Um, so right. yeah, what, what was that period like? I mean, from the point when Jeremy kind of said like, you know, I, I don't know if I can force myself to be Christian anymore until the point that, I mean, obviously you guys have kind of come together and your beliefs are lining right. up a little bit better now than they were back then. Um, what was that process like? I know I was very frustrated by, because he wanted to be able to talk to me about it because I'm his spouse, but I didn't feel like I wanted him to talk to me about it because it was making me question. And I didn't want to to question. I wanted to hang on to those beliefs so badly. And I wanted him to come back to belief so badly. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I finally eventually came to a point of, of conviction that God was calling me to bring him back. Essentially. I felt mm -hmm. like I just have to be loving enough. I have to like show the light of Christ enough to be able to for him to see that and then see that Christianity is true. So there's like, was such a weight on me yeah, of like, yeah. I have to be this perfect super Christian spouse um, yeah. or super wife uh, to enable him to see that this is true. I have to be the light. And so I did that for a while. And, and I thought by listening to him and hearing his concerns, I would be able to hear them and combat them. So I, but in order for me to combat them, I had to hear what he was questioning and the reasons why he was struggling. And by hearing those very, very slowly, I, un, at the time was unraveling, like my mm. sweater was unraveling because I was <laughs> yeah. hearing these doubts. Well, and not to, yeah, so I, I got to a certain point where I realized sharing with her where I was at was causing too much pain and distress that I couldn't anymore. Yeah. And so I just realized like, okay, even if I discover something new or find something that I find, which again, I was in, I was in turmoil as well because mm -hmm. I believed in a literal hell and that fear stuck with me for a long time. So even in the midst of like, I don't know if I believe this anymore. I still had this, like this fear inside of me and anxieties, but I realized I, I couldn't share any of this with her anymore. Yeah. And so to try and, it's weird, but to try and both uh, be true to myself, but also honor her as my spouse, we continue to go to church together because I knew like she wanted me to believe again, even though I knew I couldn't. Mm. So we still continue to go to church. And so even though we weren't explicitly talking about theological things or discussing that going to church together while I was a non-believer only to her, she's the only one that knew that I wasn't mm -hmm. a believer going to church together and sitting in the sermons, I think that created issues as well. Yes, that created a lot of issues for me because I was then forced to view the service through his eyes. In oh, my right. mind, as I was watching it, I was thinking, what's Jeremy thinking right now? Like <laughs> yeah, every sure. every possible thing that... This communion thing is weird. <laughs> yeah, oh no, just like, well, I mean, everything, every message I would try to figure out what issues he was going to have with it before he told me so that I could process the combat before he told them to me. But in viewing it that way, 
I was seeing the concerns and then they were becoming concerns for me as well. Um, And I wasn't able to combat them. And all of a sudden church looked a little cultish and a little uh, just not right and disingenuous in so many ways. Like everyone was just play acting, um, but they were telling themselves I really feel this. I'm, I'm, and I think people are very genuine. I think I was very genuine, but it just looked different once those doubts started to creep in. And mm. um, I think one thing that Germ had said before um, to me was like, once the veil has been torn, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And so then from going to church from that point forward, I could not not see the issues and I could like more and more things kept jumping out more and more red flags kept jumping out at me. And it's similar to like a magic trick. Once you've been shown how the trick works, it can Mm -hmm. no longer impress you or it can no longer, um, you know, surprise you or have an effect on you the way that it did before. And yeah, I felt like once I saw behind the curtain, essentially, I could no longer see church in a service in the same way. And I tried to go to a lot of different churches just to see like, well, I feel this way at every church and every time it was, wow, this all looks the same. Yeah. And and not to, sorry for the long-winded answer and piling on. Yes, I'm sorry. No, I'm I'm apologizing for myself. The whole point Um, of interviewing guys is to allow you to give a really long and long-winded answer to all my questions. So go for it. (laughs) Be as long-winded as you want. Well, speaking of, I have a notes that I took. I want to read them. It'll only take about an hour. If that's fine, I'm just going to okay, read Okay, yeah, sure. Great. Right. Perfect. Yeah, let's do it. Let's make this uh, like a four-hour episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People will love that. Yeah. yeah. But no, so I, the last thing with that was, um, I think one of the things, and this is kind of reading between the lines, was from a Christian perspective, there's kind of a narrow view as to why people don't believe anymore. Mm-hmm. It's and, and this is something you've talked about, I, I think, on the podcast, and it's something that is often talked about with non-believers. But it's you just want to be on the throne of your own life. Someone wronged you in the church, etc. There's these. It's this narrow list. These are the reasons. Let me tell you why you don't believe anymore. And mm-hmm. for Andy, because she was there for my whole transition from general inquiry, just curiosity as a Christian, all the way to I don't believe anymore. I, I did not fit the box. She couldn't put me in a box to say, well, this is why he doesn't believe. So because yeah. of that, there wasn't a way, there was no resource. There was no point of reference to be able to say, if someone disbelieves for this reason, here's what you can do to help them. And so that's why when it came to like looking at things through my perspective, you had to do that because there was nothing there, there was no point of reference for you to be able to say like, oh, he doesn't believe for this reason. Therefore, this is what you do. Yeah. Even back. But yeah. It, yeah. It, it, I didn't fit the box. And I had said many times too, I wish you would have just had an affair because then, <laughs> because then that's something tangible that I could uh, forgive and we can move forward. But yeah. because he was not sorry and like he was not intentionally trying to hurt me, I could not, um, there's was nothing to forgive. It was yeah, just like, right. this is what it is. And we were not going to move forward. And in my mind at the time, it was like, it's just, this is it. Like you just, there's nothing to, yeah, there is nothing to forgive. Right. And so you two are fairly new parents at this point. Right. And uh, she, we have a six, almost seven year old. Um, 
Well, at the time, time. yes, yes. Um, And so, and like fairly newly married as well within a few years, right? And so what what did all this do to your relationship as a married couple? Because I mean, it sounds like you guys kind of went through the process together, but Jeremy, you were maybe a few steps ahead and kind of leading the way. Yeah, what did that do (laughs) to your communication and your relationship? I imagine that was really hard. (laughs) Yeah, it got to a point where anything beyond surface level interaction, and I and I don't know how long this lasted for, so I don't want to say it and be wrong, but or yeah, misrepresent. Sure. But there was a period where anything beyond surface level, I just could I felt like I couldn't talk with her because I did I didn't know what would trigger her or what would set her off, mm-hmm. um, because she was very filled with um, kind of like she had mentioned. Um, a sense of driving, like, this is my fault. Taking mm. responsibility, this is my fault. You're my problem to fix. And so I had no idea at any moment if I express any sense of, like, oh, well, I'm, I'm tired. I'm this. Like, what is she going to emotionally grab? Um, because it, it's just, it was very delicate for, a, sure. for an extended period of time. And then at that point, you wonder, okay, is this something that's going to be indefinite? Like, yeah. we have to take care of this child. We're both, as new parents, you're very tired. As an income, you're just pervasively tired, coupled yeah. with lack of sleep because we're both up late in distress for differing reasons. Um, so, yeah, you get to a point where you uh, can't communicate because you're just on emotionally and spiritually different planes. And then, while well, at the same time, trying to take care of a child and figure out, well, how do we parent this kid? What if we do continue uh, Christian versus non, not versus, that's the wrong way to put yeah. it. Christian and non-Christian. Yes. How do we raise this child? What do we teach her? And, and so even having those conversations, like there was a period where we just, we couldn't talk about those things and communication beyond surface level. It just, it didn't exist. It's just too painful. Yeah. 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 So how, I mean, how did you cope with that? How did you cope with that disconnect? I, I would imagine that's I, mean, I had you can't her just read, like sit around and be like, oh, read. we're fine, you know? No, yeah. <laughs> I had her read Rob Bell and that led her back on the, uh, on the narrow path. No, well, he actually like, did. <laughs> when, when I realized that I was questioning as well, mm-hmm. I kind of brought it up a, a little bit to him, but he had given me books that helped him when he was having doubts. Like he would give, he gave me Christian books to read that might help me because he knew I wanted so badly to hang on to my belief um, instead of having like conversations or deep conversations because we couldn't talk. Um, you would give me books and like you gave me a reason for God and um, what other, you, very, very oh, yeah, oh yeah. Love wins by Rob yeah. Bell. I'm just like, he gave me different things. I was half joking when I said that, but yeah, because in my mind, I wanted to help you in any way that I could. I knew I didn't believe but if you were able to continue in belief and that's what you wanted, like I still wanted to support that. And so, okay, yeah. Andy, you can't take take it literally anymore. Well, here, read Rob Bell, Love Wins. Yeah. That'll, that'll make you feel better. Yeah, and, and so by reading those things, I think it helped a little bit, but then I would bring up my new thoughts to him. And then he would, if I ever did bring it up, you would always have not the devil's advocate, but you would always have like, well, have you thought about this? And then that would make me question what I just, not directly. Yeah. Well, it, it not, no, not directly, but it was, I don't know. It very, there wasn't like super in-depth conversation, but I was doing a lot of reading on my own, trying yeah. to hang on to the belief, 
But because that doubt was instilled already and that those threads of like love were severed, Mm -hmm. um, even those books were not able to be satisfying, but I couldn't tell him that because I wanted him to believe. So (laughs) I just pretended like, oh, these are so satisfying. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I, I just remember when I did, like I remember standing in the shower at one point and realizing that I couldn't believe it the way that I once had. And it took me a long, long time to be able to admit that to him because I thought if I told him the truth, then that would affirm him in his non-belief and he yeah. would never believe it again. Um, but at the same time, I didn't think I could believe it. So it was just this weird um, psychological, it, it's so illogical now looking back. Yeah. But, um, I wanted him to believe so badly, even through my questioning and lack of being able to believe it. Yeah. Because it was That's, all about image. <laughs> right. I wanted, I wanted my Christian family and well, That's the only way you knew like how to have it. Like, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and it's like how you were raised. You that's were how raised. I was mm-hmm. raised. And that's what I, I, that was at my core, the most important thing in life yeah. was yeah. to have that, that core, those core Christian beliefs and those core Christian values and to please God. That was at the very core of my being. So to feel like I wasn't doing that and I was doubting it was, yeah, just a whole psychological, um, struggle. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of like self-made psychological, psychological traps and right. loops and all kinds of stuff. Sounds messy, mm-hmm. but I was actually going to say it. It sounds kind of sweet. You know, the way that Jeremy, you, you read those books or read a reason for God and it wasn't satisfying to you, but you thought like you, you wanted to give it to Andy because maybe if she can keep her faith through it, then like you want her to be as happy as possible. Right. I I feel like that when you were describing that, it sounded so sweet to me that even though those things weren't satisfying to you, that you could give them to Andy because you care about her and you want her to like be satisfied in her spiritual life and all of that. Um, Obviously it didn't didn't end up saving Andy's Christianity, (laughs) hopefully for the better, but I think the thought is sweet. And the same thing with you, Andy, you know, you said you felt like the weight of the world on your shoulders and like, it was kind of your responsibility to, try to bring Jeremy back into the fold and all of that. I'm sure a lot of what played into that is that you just wanted, I mean, you don't want Jeremy to go to hell, right? I mean, you want to have like a beautiful Christian family together and be, have this beautiful life, you know, right. and the only way you know how to, to keep that is like you're saying by maybe not sharing your doubts and by maybe trying to make sure that Jeremy thinks you're as strong as possible because now you need to be the rock that's like leading the family on your Christian yeah. walk. Yeah. And I was embarrassing to you. Like that oh, way I put it is at the same time, like, yeah, it was tough because she couldn't talk about it with anyone because I was an embarrassment from a Christian perspective. Like mm-hmm. I I am married to a non-believing husband. Like yeah. at the time we say, like, is there anything worse? Not really. I don't think I ever would have said then <laughs> that it was embarrassing, but I just felt so much shame because it was like, this must be my fault because I had yeah. so many examples in my life of good Christian families and they obviously are doing it well. Uh, Like, Mm -hmm. what am I doing wrong? How, how did this happen? Yeah. So did you two come to a point when Jeremy, you were basically saying you, you don't know if you can believe anymore, but Andy, you were still trying to hold on. Had you kind of resolved to just continue your marriage and continue raising your kids um, in that 
kind of split faith configuration? Or was that something you just didn't really talk about and were just kind of waiting for things to hopefully come back together? He had said to me, like when it came to teaching our daughter things, you had said, it is okay for you to teach what you believe as long as you preface it with, this is what I believe. Mm. Like, I believe this rather than just saying this is true. Yeah. I needed to say, I this is what I believe so that I think your goal was you wanted her to have a sense of not everyone thinks that this is true. Um, sure. From a parenting standpoint, I wanted, I wanted that and then just from our marriage. I, I don't remember any explicit conversation of like, this is what we're going to do. But I think we just both kind of resolved to like, I don't know, give it time and figure it out. And just try to love each other the best we could through it. In our own strange ways. Yeah. Well, even like things like affection, I had a really difficult time giving affection or like holding his hand or I really felt betrayed. And so I really had a hard time with any sort of physical affection for a while. And I think we were just kind of coexisting. And it wasn't until I remember laying in bed together one night and I finally confessing to you that I was having these like major doubts and I I could finally relate with him or understand that this wasn't a choice. This is not something that you're doing to me. And I think that was helpful for you to hear just that. I, I understand that you're not, this isn't your fault. And because I've kind of had put it on him, like, why are you choosing to like, keep researching? Why are you choosing to um, not believe anymore that you're doing this? And like, what, you know, not only blaming myself, but I did feel anger towards him too. So by me saying, you know what, I don't think this is your fault. And you, I don't believe that you chose this uh, because I can understand it because it happened to me. Yeah, I think that was a good fusion in us being able to have more discussion and start to come together rather than just kind of coexisting. Yeah, I bet. That gave me chills when you said that. I just, I can imagine that there was a great sense of relief maybe on both sides when you were finally able to have that conversation. I just wanted to ask Jeremy, how did, how did that make you feel when Andy finally started opening up and kind of like admitting that she was sort of on board with those doubts or I guess no, off board of Christianity? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it, it was incredibly relieving just because I knew like, Oh, I can, I can talk to you again. Like mm-hmm. not that we're totally yeah. on the same page, but I, I can talk to you again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a mix of relief because it felt like I got my partner back. That's a weird way to put it. Um, But at the same time, it was almost sad just because it was difficult because the emotions that she was feeling, the pain of realizing that she couldn't force herself to believe, I knew exactly what that felt like. And so while it was relieving for me, it was also very hard for me to just witness her going through the same turmoil that I went through, you know, a couple months prior. So it it was a, a mix of emotions for sure. Mm-hmm. And were you still feeling a lot of those same pains at that time? Uh, I wouldn't say pains, uh, but definitely like fears because yeah. I think the timeline is messy now, but yeah. I hadn't told many people that I wasn't a believer anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that sense of still feeling like I was being a fake to the people around me. I think around this time there was, I was still involved to a, to a certain degree with some church activities. Um, so I wouldn't say that it was for me as painful as much of it was fear. I still had like the fear of hell, 
but you know, it was definitely still a period of like, um, yeah, I feel like I'm not being genuine with the people around me. So that was also relieving because it's like, oh, now there's someone I can be totally like, I can be totally genuine with you. Yeah. Like at least when you come home, you can be honest and open about who you are and what <laughs> right. you think. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so what were some of the harder things for you to, to, to get over as you were leaving the faith? I mean, obviously there's, a, there's a bunch of things, but were there a few like key kind of issues that you found yourselves kind of discussing more frequently or continually coming back to? Yeah. But I don't know who that's directed at, but I'll say that for me, I think it was always, who do we tell? Mm. When do we tell them? How much detail do we give? And, and I think initially there's that sense of angst. It's a mix of fear because you're leaving what you've always believed literally since birth. Mm -hmm. Um, But you feel almost to a degree like anger, like you I felt deceived. Um, I felt like I had been betrayed by friends and family. Like I was taught wrong. I was kept back from so much experience in life. Um, So it was always that balance of talking with people while not burning bridges and sharing with them. So yeah. It, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I think I just felt this, like I'm, I'm kind of an open book in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. So especially with the relationships that I had, like I was in a Christian mom's group at the time. Um, and I felt like I needed to be open with them, but I didn't know how to do that. Uh, but it almost like when you first become a believer, you have like when you obviously like you're told it at birth, but then say that you come to a point in your teen years where you feel like this is my own. Like I really like have taken ownership of these beliefs and you kind of want to tell everyone and you're like excited Mm -hmm. about it. And that's how I felt on the other side, essentially. Like it was almost like, Oh my gosh, there's all these like thoughts and ideas swirling in my mind. And I just want to share them with people so that they can, I can defend why I can't believe this anymore. I felt like I needed to defend that so that people didn't think I was psycho. And like, (laughs) uh, I would have to do that because then they would wonder like where I'm at on Sunday or what, you know, Right. I was always the one saying, you know, praying for you, like in every situation. And so I knew that my personality was not going to change, but like certain things were going to change. So I felt like I had to be honest, but yeah, I think that was hard because I felt a sense of bitterness towards the things that I was taught before. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Which for me was one of the hardest things to grapple with because I felt bitterness, but I also wanted to share with the people that I loved because all of them were Christians. One sure. idea that I just came up with, I just realized like for you, it was almost like, you know, maybe you can use this if you want, but it was almost like you were born again, again, if, if I can coin <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, an original phrase. And uh, yeah. You to share that. You know? Oh, great. Yeah. That's a great idea. That's, I like that term. <laughs> yeah. I, I came up with it myself. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> um. So what were some of the first, like, maybe more practical changes that started happening in your lives once you guys are both on a similar page and, you know, both consider yourselves no longer Christians. How did your life begin changing at that point? Because I would imagine you probably went to church. You said you're going to church together for a long time while you were Christian, Andy and Jeremy, you weren't. Did you continue going to church for a while, even after both of you were out? Like, how did you kind of move away from your super Christian circles? 
Yeah, I think going to church, we kind of stopped. And then as far as the, yeah, I don't think we went together for very long at all. Once we both kind of were officially able to admit to ourselves, we didn't mm-hmm. believe in Christianity. I don't think we went um, again, but okay. our friend circles remained the same because again, it was the town that she was raised in. We went to college two miles down the road from where our church was. So basically the people that we were friends with at a Christian college were the friends that we had in church, were the friends that we hung out with on a regular basis. So our friendship circles didn't really change at all. And in fact, I don't think at the time, like I couldn't have named someone that we were friends with that wasn't a Christian. Yeah, yeah no, which yeah. we didn't have is, non-believing Which friends. is lonely and it's tough to, to know like, yeah. Oh, what, what, yeah, what do we, what do we do with that? But mm-hmm. um, no, I think other things that changed, I think for me, um, I had always had this sense of self-hate mm-hmm. or self-degradation. And so being able to be free of that to the sense of like, oh, I'm not necessarily like, not, not responsible, but like, yes, yeah, I, I take responsibility for myself. I'm, I don't have this sin nature. I can be good at my core. I think that was very, very freeing. Um, so that was definitely a good um, thing that changed for me emotionally. That's yeah. not what you asked though. I got off on a tangent. Not bad. I think it, it's. I think it's at least partially what I asked. Okay. Well, yeah. I also just was realizing. I don't think we answered your other question the way that you intended it. That how did, what were some hardest, some of the hardest things to get over? I think were you talking about just like, like things like, for example, community and like, like. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I meant community or like more existential things, like you know, life purpose, Hell or social and, things, know. or you know, any of it. So I mean, like yeah. your answer about feeling like you needed to tell your friends and you needed to be honest and stuff like that. I mean, that, that part of it's super hard. And I feel like for me, that was one of the hardest parts because it's one thing to be at home, like with these doubts and thoughts in your mind and kind of coming to a, coming to non-belief and being able to accept that in your mind. And it's another thing to take that and like tell your social circles about it. Um, yeah, that's really hard. And it sounds like you guys were kind of, your hand was, Andy, you're saying your hand was, forced a little bit because your personality was so like saturated in Christianity that maybe you thought your friends would notice that you're like not going to church. You're not saying I'll pray for you. You're not saying the normal like Christian stuff. Right. Well, and I was someone who was very, I was looking back now, very arrogant in in my beliefs. Um, I, I don't think I would have realized that then, but if someone had an issue I felt like I had the answer for it. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And I knew truth and I understood like what God mm. wanted. And I never, the amount of empathy and compassion and just being able to listen was not there. And yeah. now when I talk to believers, I can see myself in them a lot of times when they're trying to talk to me about Christianity I can see myself in them and it yeah. bothers me. Like I can see my old <laughs> self, I guess, in them. I see. And why do you, why does it bother you? Just because it reminds me of how I must have come across to people. I like see. If, a, yeah. if a non-believer were talking to me back then, I know now how I came across. And yeah. when I talk to <laughs> believers now, not all of them, I have some really great Christian friends that I still, that I Mm -hmm. have great conversations with, but there are times where I'll have conversations with believers where it's so 
yeah, it's very like not cringy, but it's very heart wrenching because like these are people that I admired so much, and the conversation makes them fall off of my mental pedestal that I had put them on because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I realize, oh my gosh, I used to treat people this way. I used to not listen in conversation. I used to interrupt and I used to interject my own thoughts instead of just listening to what you're saying. And well, and that was one of the biggest things that I noticed for me is that when it came to interactions, social interactions. Um, there was a period where I was definitely in distress and I was fearful of hell, but then it became this sense of like discovery and like, Oh, I don't have to view everything as black and white. I don't have to just try and read this book and just figure out what God's will is. There's a lot of gray and there's a lot of beauty in that. I don't have to view people as Christian and non-Christian. I can view people as people. I can look at this situation in life and I can decide for myself, like, how I'm going to view it. And so that sense of freedom, both just personally, but also with interactions, like I didn't feel the need whenever I met someone new for the first question to be, Oh, and and where do you go to church? Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't, I can just talk with people like the people. I don't have to feel this pressure to like proselytize and, and, you know, get people to come to my church. And so I think that freedom, that, that sense of just, I don't know, human compassion, I guess, like being able to discover that was wonderful. And genuinely trying to understand what they're saying instead of just believing wholeheartedly that I'm right about everything. And, um, I realizing that I could change my perspective. I could change my mind. I want to hear what you have to say about this. And I I'm really interested instead of just always thinking about what I'm going to say next instead of listening. Yeah. I feel like that's such a beautiful and like powerful and worthwhile takeaway for people like us who's gone through this process um, to be able to now basically see see ourselves in other people. Like you were saying, Andy, when you're talking to a Christian, you can kind of see your old self in them. And part of, you know, part of you maybe feels like, oh, cringe, I used to be like that. But another part of you is like, you can understand them at a level that probably not very many other people could understand them. I think that's such a cool, I don't know. I guess we just did that episode called deconstruction as a superpower. And that's what that's mm-hmm. all about. But I, that, <laughs> yep. that excites me so much. I feel like it's such a cool thing. We have um, a cool like prize we have from going through this difficult and gut wrenching process um, that makes it a little bit you, sweeter. Not to, I'm just curious from your perspective, when you have conversations with people, since you guys are obviously way more out with, with people and probably mm-hmm. spark more conversations, like, if you tell people that you understand their perspective, do you feel like they doubt that you actually do? Or like, you, you don't understand because you don't, you didn't actually believe anything. Or do you feel like you are able to get on the same page with, page with them and they can recognize that? I think I, I would never say to someone that I understand their perspective because I know that when I was in their position, if someone were to say that to me, I would be like, no, you don't. You don't. So I think it's maybe a little more like covert, sneaky on my part, but it, I think it just helps me to remain more open and softer and, and more understanding and less reactive when they're saying things that are like potentially offensive or potentially dismissive of yeah, what I've been right. through because I'm like, you know what? Like, yeah, that was really dismissive, but I probably would have done that same thing. And I know that they probably don't have the capacity to understand where I'm at right now, just because they haven't had the same experience, you know? Yeah. Um, well, absolutely. yeah. And that's, that makes complete sense. Cause that, I mean, that's exactly where I was like with my family mm-hmm. um, initially when we deconstructed or 
deconverted. Um, I was more angsty. And so I was definitely more open with them than I probably should have been. Just oh, really? The things I was thinking and learned. But eventually I definitely came to realize like they're from their perspective, they can say whatever they want, which they said plenty of things early on because <laughs> as a parent, if you believe in a literal hell, you're fearful, fearful for your children. Yeah. But so initially I was very offended by the things they would say, but eventually as time went on, like it's very, it'd be very difficult for them to offend me or upset me just because I can see from their point of view where they're coming from. And so yeah. rather than immediately being defensive and trying to, um, well, I, my position makes sense. Like it's more empathetic. It's more like trying to come alongside them versus yeah. just talking to them. Totally. And to have the perspective that they're not trying to harm me with these comments or whatever, they really are being genuine and it does come in their own way um, from a place of love. Yeah. And that's one of, Jerry does a better job of that when he, now I think when you talk to people of faith, for me, it is a little bit more difficult to remember that, or just remember how I would have felt at that time as a believer and what I would say, and also to be more understanding. Um, But it's just something you learn as you, you go and you just keep trying to get. That's life. Yeah. Totally. Yes. So what was it like telling your families? Jeremy, you said you were pretty outspoken about it. Andy, was it the same for you? Well, because my childhood, it, it never was such an important oh, yeah, thing. That's right. Um, I never felt the need to have some kind of announcement or like mm-hmm, to tell mm-hmm. them in that way. I do remember kind of bringing it up a little bit with my mom at one point. And I remember her just saying, uh, she was very compassionate. She all, mm-hmm. all she said was, you know what? We all change and have different views and different times of our lives. And I, I love you no matter what. And like, that's oh literally gosh. it. That was like the only thing, like the, so nice. that was the extent of the conversation, but and yeah. she wouldn't realize this, but that meant so much to me because my whole life I had spent uh, evangelizing to her <laughs> and yeah. basically like telling her like, here, these are the right beliefs. This is what you need to believe and not being not having unconditional love yet here she was and she like took me to whatever school I wanted to she let me go to a like paid for me to go to a Christian high school paid for me to go to Christian college because I wanted to do that yeah here I am after they wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars (laughs) on me to go to a Christian college me saying I don't think I believe this anymore (laughs) and here she is saying you know what I love you no matter what like yeah there's no way to describe how much that changed my view of in terms of like, oh, she really does love me unconditionally, or they do. Do you feel like that? It sounds like that probably even helped your relationship with her be even closer than it would have been before. Yeah, I I definitely, especially in matters of faith, because Mm -hmm. growing up, we always butted heads in that because I was so extreme in my like strong faith. And she, that was not something that should be emphasized Mm. for her. And she you know, she saw a lot of red flags in how invested I was in the church that I was, Sure. Um, which I couldn't see at the time. But looking back, I can definitely see that it was unhealthy in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, our relationship in terms of faith definitely 
grew because of that. I don't even think she would realize that, but for right. me, in my mind. <laughs> yeah. And Jeremy, what, is, what about your family? How did they take, how did they take it all? Like where have things gone in terms? Cause I mean, they're probably concerned about your kid too and raising a child now yeah. as non-believers and all that. So I mean, yeah, how I has that been? I should have pulled up an email that I got. So I'll try to quote it, but essentially when I told them that I didn't believe I had a conversation with them just in person, I wanted mm-hmm. it to be in person. But I also wanted to leave them with like a letter that basically explained in detail kind of the journey I went on. Yeah. For Andy, my story made sense because she was a part of it. But someone mm-hmm. else just hearing, oh, Jeremy's not a believer. They're not going to understand the context. And at yeah. that point, I definitely felt this need to like, people need to understand my point of view. Like, I don't want to be misunderstood. Very kind of arrogant in that standpoint. So I left them with a letter after our conversation. And my mom, after telling her that I wasn't a believer anymore, ended up like running out of the room with my brother to basically go and like tell him what happened and then pray for me. And then um, the conversation kind of ended there. And then there were some emails back and forth. I don't think they ever read the letter, but I did get some emails that basically said that, you know, they're, they now have a son who is leading his family to hell leading their grandchildren to hell. And so they will pray that, you know, God will basically do whatever he needs to, to bring us back into the fold, whether that's disaster or something else. Now, this was a few years ago. They've definitely softened in that regard, but initially it was very hard for them and very disturbing. So the things that they said were very, very cookie cutter. Like you are going to hell, you're leading our family, family members to hell um and yeah this is what you're choosing to do so right how was that it's tough i mean how did how did you take that and that sounds like that was probably really hard to hear yeah it was it was definitely hard um but i think for me i was definitely still at a place where it was more like no you don't understand like my point of view is reasonable like isn't it Mm -hmm. obvious that the bible is not true (laughs) so it, it was almost a sense of like let me show you these contradictions and things so it was almost um, I understood their perspective on hell because I had, I had held that view for my yeah. entire life. So I understood that standpoint, but I almost took it as more of like a, okay, that's your perspective. Let me try and convince you why you're wrong. And that was in retrospect, even telling them the way I did was not the right way to go. Mm. Telling, responding in the way that I did wasn't the right way to go. But that's hindsight. You learn from it. And it's the relationship's gotten better since then. But mm-hmm. it definitely still, you know, it's it's not a topic that is breached very often. Okay. Put it that way. All right. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I think initially, too, for them, like I just I was at a place where I was still just questioning. But I like when he told them, um, but I. I was at a, I really wanted them to like me. Like I was still at a state where like, I want my in-laws to respect me. And it seemed like the only way to gain respect was to be like these like super Christians in a way. And if our family didn't check all the boxes of that, and especially since he's one of five kids and, you know, all of them would be considered these super Christians and now we're the black sheep of the family. Yeah. I wanted so strongly their approval and to not have that and to know that I hadn't chosen 
this, like this just right. kind of this happened to me. It was just devastating because I felt like we had a close relationship and it went from close to we couldn't go below surface level. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That is not easy. Yeah. Well, had there been any um, changing the topic a little bit or moving forward, I guess a little yeah. bit. So you deconverted, you told your family, all of that. Have there been any things that you feel like you've, um, have been really helpful in your kind of healing process from then until now? And maybe some examples would be like, um, you know, a lot of people have a really hard time living without the purpose being God, or, mm. you know, have a really hard time. Like you were saying, Jeremy, like you used to be super self-loathing as a Christian, which I can really relate to. And you said, maybe you don't have that feeling anymore. Was there anything that you went through that you found particularly helpful to kind of get over any of those, those hurdles for you? Um, I know for me, one thing that people would ask me would be like, what would it be that would make you start to believe again? Cause I did have a fear of, of hell still yeah. for a while. Um, and I always, I guess one thing that I would respond with is just realizing all the other religions that are out there. There's like 2,500 some religions today and all of them have some sort of, you know, eternal punishment or something. And if just one of those are right, um, you know, I'm doomed. Um, mm -hmm. And the idea of what would change my mind, you know, I don't know what would change my mind, but if there is an all knowing, all powerful God, he would know what would change my mind. And he hasn't done that yet. And so yeah. he either one doesn't exist or two does not yet want me to know that he exists. And therefore the responsibility is off of my shoulders. Like I, I can't do anything about that. I, he's not revealed that yet to me. And if, if he does, then I'm willing to see that. But if that never happens, that's not my problem. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's really well put. And actually I can see that being really helpful for somebody who even now maybe struggles with the fear of hell a bit. It's like you guys were saying earlier, it's not like you wanted to stop being a Christian. It's not like you had, you had faith in God and you were like, Oh, I want to be an atheist now. Like it, it happened to you and you can't, right force yourself to believe something. And even if right now you guys were to say like, you know what, I believe in God again, you'd just be lying to yourself because you'd have so many questions right. underneath. And so, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I could imagine there being a big sense of relief if you can kind of get your head wrapped around that idea you just shared where, yeah, it's, it's kind of up to God and quotes right. to bring you back well, if he exists, you know? Exactly. Well, and I could tell myself that I believe it. I could tell Jeremy, I believe it. I could tell everyone around me that I believe it. I could pray. I could do everything in my power to say, like, I believe this, you know, choosing. Mm -hmm. But the reality is deep down, I I don't. Um, and yeah. it's the same yeah. with, like, I, I mean, when I talk to Christians about it, usually I'll use the example of a law. Like, I'll say, you can tell yourself you believe in a law. You can tell everyone around you you believe in a law. But deep down... You don't actually, you mm -hmm. couldn't make yourself believe in it, even if you wanted to. So yeah. therefore like belief is not a choice. And if it's not a choice, then the burden is off of my shoulders because I'm not choosing to not believe it. And the example Santa Claus was a good one that um, helped me to see it in those terms, but I don't know that. Uh, good old Santa Claus. Let, yeah. Yeah. I just that you believe in Santa Claus when you were younger, just because you don't now doesn't mean you never did. But 
you couldn't force yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What was your, uh, I didn't give my, what was your question again initially? I was focused on my joke originally and I've totally lost <laughs> You're question. so focused on the joke <laughs> that you forgot about the question. It's gone. Yeah. I was just asking, I was just curious to get some insight into like the healing process, I guess, from the time where you decided you weren't Christian to becoming the people you are today. And okay. if there were any like major hurdles that you felt like you overcame during that time. One of them, like the fear of hell is a great example. I feel like that's a huge hurdle and it takes like a lot for a lot of people to get over that. And I, I really like the way you put that, Andy. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the fear of hell definitely. And also really a sense of loneliness where mm. even though Andy and I were kind of in it together, like we did not have any friends that weren't believers. And so um, I, th I think what helped was being able to find certain communities or just stories online of other people. For example, there was a, a video series called Exodus, if I'm remembering right. Um, mm -hmm. It was just people telling their story. And even though I didn't know them, uh, hearing thoughts that I had echoed by other people, that definitely helped the healing because, you know, I wasn't alone in what I'd experienced. The sense of fear, while at the same time, contradicting feelings of excitement and this like sense of like new life and discovery. Um, I think that definitely helped. Um, and then also for me, the concept of death, ironically, um, the fear of hell, when I came to terms with just death and that whole idea, the fear of hell kind of went with it. Hmm. Um, because, you know, when I look at life, when I enjoy a good movie, just because the movie's about to end doesn't mean I look back and say, well, that movie sucked because it ended. Like, no, it was it was good because it was a good story. And, yeah. you know, things are beautiful, even though they're finite. And so coming to terms with death without the hope or thought of eternity, while that was initially difficult, it almost, that renewed sense of the beauty of life is what helped me kind of come to terms with like the, the yeah, they're not being an eternity. Yeah. I put that very poorly. Well, yeah. Life is almost much more profound now because it's like, because it is finite. You want to do everything you can to make the most of the short time that you have. You don't know how much time you have. So it's, and if you don't have that afterlife view or not that I don't have it, but that it could possibly, there could possibly not be an afterlife. Right. You really want to make the most out of now and love people now, do what you can to make the world a better place now, rather than this lofty, well, we're not living for today. We're living for the afterlife. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, that makes total sense. Cool. Well, this has been really, really good. I feel like we covered a lot of ground and I'm sure we could talk for <laughs> several more hours about all the ins and outs of this. Years. Just probably start wrapping it up. Yeah, here's, um, we could do 50 more episodes on just you two. Uh, um, Yay. But to, to kind of wrap things up, I, I wanted to ask one more question. Um, if, if you had the ability to go back as your current selves, as a little couple pair and you travel back in time to when Jeremy, you first started that Bible reading plan and you first started having those first questions, what would you say to yourselves in terms of advice? That's a good question. It is. That's why I'm being silent for a second. <laughs> um, I 
It sounds generic, but it's okay. Like it's okay to feel the way that you do, because I think for me, from my theological background, I viewed the doubts as being something wrong with myself that, oh, there's something in me that's causing these doubts. And so it kind of created this downward spiral of self-hate, like, oh, something's wrong with me. That's why I'm doubting. And that, you know, being able to tell myself, like, it's okay. Like, it's this isn't your fault. You know, the, the goodwill hunting, you know, Robin Williams giving hug, it's not your fault kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not blaming myself, um, I think would have been, if I were able to grab onto that concept at the time, I think it would have allowed healing just as a person, I think, much better than what it did as far as the length of time that it took. Blaming myself, feeling like I was a failure. I failed my family. I failed my wife. I failed my kids because I wasn't able to hold on to this belief. Just to tell myself, it's not your fault. Like, it's okay. Oh, that's amazing. And I love you, Jeremy. You're awesome. That's what I would have said as well. That's, that's probably a good thing to say to yourself anytime. That's, that's good advice that right in the there. every morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, it's probably similar in that. It's okay. But yeah, I think I would just go back and because I really love who we are now. And I think mm-hmm. we have become better people now. And I hope that we just keep becoming better people as we grow. Obviously we've changed so drastically since then. And just there's this realization now that we have the ability to keep changing and openness to grow. So I think if I were to go back, I would say like, obviously this is scary and that it's okay to be scary, but life is only going to get so much better. The more that Mm. you are willing to learn and question and grow and you will be more compassionate and empathetic people for it the more you're willing to question and learn and grow that's amazing yeah i think one of the back to that was like kind of to add to it it was like you can trust yourself like i never trusted my own intuition my own self like it was it it kind of goes along the other side of the same coin of self-doubt but uh telling myself like you can trust yourself like you can trust your intuition you can believe in yourself and you're allowed to do that. Um, I think that would have been uh, helpful to recognize at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great place to end and a great sentiment to end on. Uh, I just want to thank you again for being so willing to come on here and being willing to be vulnerable and share intimate parts of your life and relationship and all of that. Um, I know it's not easy to be so public about this stuff. And I just, I really, I'm really honored that you'd, I guess, trust me and trust us with your story, really. So thank you. Well, we have absolutely loved your podcast. At the beginning, when you first started it, I think right before we heard it, I had said, we should start a podcast like this. And then we uh-huh. saw yours and I was like, damn it, Jeremy. <laughs> Somebody's already done it. Yeah. <laughs> and But it's been so good. And like everything that I would have hoped in a podcast, it, that's what it it has been and, and the, I've, community the, commu- the community and I've just felt so not alone which is this the purpose of the entire podcast so like thank you guys for continuing to do what you're doing and I know it's probably stressful and just a lot of work but I I thank you so much for doing it 
Yeah, thank you. And this was fun. Awesome. Yeah, I feel like we've been just as like blessed and benefited by everybody coming along. It's it's just been like a big, I feel like we're all a big happy family going through this crazy ride together. And it's so much better to be able to do it with all of you rather than just by yourself in your house, like thinking up crazy thoughts in your brain all the time, (laughs) stressing out like crazy. So yeah, I'm right with you. Cool. Well, thanks again. All right, thank you.